maybe people are getting into a big debate about this. All right, somebody tell me, what's your least favorite song? Just be honest, who's got courage? Santa, Santa Baby. Baby. Somebody? <laughs> we, we can get into that later on. That's a whole sermon, isn't it, about that song? <laughs> somebody said, Frosty? Someone's not, someone's not a Frosty person? See, this is oh. going to get really controversial. We haven't even given the sermon yet. I know, right? We need to stop now. Okay, moving on. Hey, welcome one more time. Um, I'm so excited to introduce our speaker today. Uh, this is Aaron, who is a part of our community here at Mill City. Yes, welcome, Aaron. Thank you for he being here. Um, I, I love to visit churches around the country whenever I get a chance, which is not very often, but one of the churches I got to visit is where Aaron came from, and he is now a part of Mill City, but I call him Pastor Aaron because that's how I met him, and he is a pastor and he is a pastor at heart, even though he'll tell you what he's doing today. But he's a Minnesotan. Somehow we got him and his family back to Minnesota, out from Boston, where it's so cool, but here it's cool in Minnesota now. And we've got him, cold. and we're so glad that we're here. Cold. cold. It's cool out there, and it's cold here. Yeah, yeah. And cool. Okay, don't answer that. <laughs> uh, I, t this week on our Facebook page, Aaron and I had a really fun conversation. I thought it was fun, and he says it was fun, too. Yeah, okay, good. We'd love for you to go listen to it, because the teaser is... I feel that God brought Aaron to our community at this specific time for a specific reason, and it's actually pretty cool, but you got to go listen to our conversation that we did on Facebook Live. Um, but I'm so excited for him to kick off our Advent series, so one more welcome for Pastor Aaron. Well, good morning for those of us who have not had the privilege of meeting. Hello. Uh, like Pastor Staff mentioned, uh, I was the founding pastor at a congregation called High Rock North Shore, uh, which is now known as Anchor Bay Church. And today, I get the chance to serve churches and nonprofits throughout the region as a nonprofit banker at Bremer Bank, which, side note, is a fantastic organization to work for. And bonus, the bank is always looking for good people. So if you're looking for a change in your life, you know, come work with me. It's great. <clears throat> okay, commercial over, and back to it. Like Steph said, this week we began our month-long countdown to the defining moment in all of history, the moment when God took on flesh and joined us in the mud and mire of life. Now, historically, this month-long countdown has otherwise been known as the season of Advent, the season that remembers that all of creation yearns for the arrival of the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace. And in this particular season of Advent, and in this particular year, here at our particular church, we're taking a close look at how in the days leading up to Jesus' birth, God showed up in unexpected ways, in unexpected places, at an unexpected time among the most unexpected people. And here's the thing that we all have in common with the shepherds and the magi and all the rest of the characters that we see surrounding sweet baby Jesus and the nativity. These unexpected moments that come into our lives, they're often some of our most defining moments. I mean, without hardly any effort at all, most of us can remember some of our own defining moments, right? I graduated. We got married. We adopted that child. We had that baby. The kids left home. I got promoted. We finally retired. Now, <clears throat> lots of times, major life transitions like these are exciting and exhilarating and extraordinary. They're events that we circle in our calendars and draw hearts around and exclamation points around. 
They're the events that we excitedly count down towards with long paper chains and that we eagerly celebrate with huge parties. Lots of times, these defining moments are long expected and very welcome. But other times, other times, not so much. Other times, they were totally unexpected and caught us completely off guard. They're not what we were looking for. I got that diagnosis. She left. He died. I got fired. We lost that pregnancy. In a car accident. She cheated. Lots of times, our defining moments are eagerly expected, but other times, other times they're overwhelmingly exhausting or excruciatingly difficult or unbelievably confusing. But regardless of whether they propel you or sink you, defining moments like these, they change you. They change how you relate to your friends and your closest kin. They sometimes require you to change your hobbies or your habits. Sometimes they even require you to make a change in where you live. And more often than not, these defining moments upend the way that you interpret and interact with the world around you. Because when big transitions like these come, they usually come with a whole lot of other existential questions, don't they? Questions like, who am I now? What does this mean for us? How do we go forward? What do I do now? Especially so when these questions come because of unexpected events. And I can't help but wonder if maybe that's a little bit what Mary might have felt like that night when Gabriel shook up her life that one night some 2,000 years ago. I can't help but wonder if maybe that's what Mary felt when she heard the announcement that she would be the one who would bear Jesus, that she would be the woman who would give birth to the long-awaited Messiah who would save the world. But I also wonder, though, if our familiarity with the story doesn't cause us to miss out on what the big shakeup was really like for Mary or what was really going on in her life. And today we're going to take a close look at that story of the angel Gabriel's unexpected announcement to Mary. So if you brought it along, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 26. Or if you'd rather, you can just follow along on the screen behind me, uh, whatever it is that gives you joy. Uh, And today we're going to look at chapter 1 of Luke starting in verse 26. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, 
The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is already in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> okay, whether you've heard this story a bazillion times or it's brand new to you, let's do our best to imagine this scene. We pick up the story with Mary in her house late at night, and just imagine with me, right? Here's Mary brushing her teeth, she's washing her face, she's putting food out for the cat, you know, minding her own business, getting ready for bed, and all of a sudden, bam! There's an angel of the Lord standing before her. And he looks at her and says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now we get that phrase, greatly troubled, that we're familiar with because that's what the King James Version chose as as a translation some 400 years ago. And it was a good choice. But I at least often fail to grasp how troubled she actually was. And think about this, right? Most of the songs that we sing and the pristine pictures that we see, don't they usually showcase a perfectly passive, holy Mary standing before an equally unintimidating angel? But when Luke wrote down Mary's experience that night, I'm not exactly sure that's what he had in mind. Because the word that Luke used for greatly troubled is perhaps better translated today as thoroughly agitated or totally shook up or even completely unhinged. I like that last one, completely unhinged. Now, I'm not certain when the last time you interacted with someone who was agitated, shook up, or unhinged, but I'm pretty sure it looks nothing like the placid, passive portraits of Mary that we're accustomed to seeing at Christmas time. And I don't think it's too difficult to imagine why she would have felt unhinged like this, right? I mean, this announcement to Mary would have felt completely unexpected, confusing, difficult, and terrifying all. Unexpected and confusing because everyone in those days knew that if God is going to be found anywhere, God would be found with the powerful and intellectual elites in Jerusalem, the capital. Certainly, you wouldn't find God making a grand entrance into some podunk, rough-and-tumble, rural mountain village like Nazareth. I mean, Nazareth was a tiny town. Tiny. Some archaeologists argue it was probably no bigger than the number of people who call Mill City home. And like many tiny towns, it was also a poor town with few resources, virtually no regional influence, and a deep skepticism of anyone from out of town, especially if they were from the big city. Can I get an amen from my fellow brothers and sisters who are from a tiny town? Nazareth was a a kind of close-knit community that believed that the real, honest-to-God truth was likely to be the simplest or shortest answer. And so when that small-town gossip chain would have found out about Mary's pregnancy— Well, you can imagine that everyone would have assumed that God had absolutely nothing to do with Mary's pregnancy. And let's think about this logically for a minute, which which is more likely, right? That Mary got pregnant by God 
Or that, some, that, that handsome and young, rich traveler who came through town last week. And so when Mary showed up pregnant, no matter how much she pleaded her case, no, really, it was God who made me pregnant. No matter how earnest she would have seemed or how sincerely she would have argued, people would naturally assume either A, she'd been sleeping around and is now so desperate that she's creating all kinds of crack stories, or B, she had quite literally become unhinged. But either option means that Mary's days in Nazareth are basically done. She's going to be shamed and shunned and ran out of town. But if she's cut off from community, how will she survive on her own? Which is a valid question because if single mothering is daunting today, which it really is, it was deadly then. In that day and age, since men were both the sole breadwinners and protectors, being a disgraced single mom was potentially deadly for the whole family. Now what will the future be like for her? How will she find money? Where will she live? How will she survive? And don't get me wrong, we still have a long, long way to go before there's actual equity between women and men in our culture today. But objectively, it was way worse to be a woman in the first century world than it is today. So no matter what lies ahead, if she lives at all, life will certainly not be easy. No matter what lies ahead, her prospects instantly, unexpectedly, became downright terrifying. The old predictable paths towards the dreams that she held aren't open to her any longer. So for good reason, Mary would have been greatly disturbed by the angel's announcement. And you know what? She probably felt all these things at various times throughout her pregnancy. But let's take a close look at that text again. Look closely at when Mary freaked out. At this point in the story, did she know anything yet about the Holy Spirit coming upon her? Did she know that her future son would be the savior of the world? Shoot. Did she even know she was pregnant yet? Sure. Because of her unexpected pregnancy, her prospects will be troubling to her in the future for sure. But that's not actually what unhinged Mary. So look closely at that text again. Mary was greatly troubled. She was greatly unhinged. At what? The angel's greeting. His greeting. It's Gabriel's, Hi, Mary, that turns her world upside down, inside out, and outside in. It's not the prospect of poverty. It's not the struggle to survive. It's not the announcement of an unexpected pregnancy or even the threat of single motherhood. It was the angel's greeting that so greatly unhinged her. Why? I mean, he's hardly said anything at all, right? What is it about this greeting that was so confusing and so troubling to her? Again, this is such a familiar story that we can miss the shock of what Gabriel's announcement really said. First, in the language of the New Testament, <clears throat> that word highly, or those words highly favored, is a perfect passive participle, which is just a fancy pants way to say that it's a past tense event that has durative effect. It's something that already happened that I still feel the effects from. As in, yeah, I've been to White Castle once before, (laughs) and I still feel nauseous every time I drive by it. (laughs) One time, 
In the past, I ate at the castle and I still feel its effects. <laughs> so already, it's better to think of Gabriel's words like this. Greetings, you who have already found favor. As in in the past. As in earlier, you have been favored and are still finding it. Past tense with durative effects. But there's more and don't miss this next point. The verb behind those words highly favored is the same exact word that in every other instance in the Bible means this. Grace. Freely and abundantly given grace. Grace. That thing that you, did, that you get that you didn't earn. That thing you get that you don't deserve. Grace. That thing that has nothing to do with success or approval or winning or perfecting grace. That thing that says, don't matter what your history is or how you got here or what you've done, you are completely, totally, unconditionally welcomed here. Grace. Okay. Let's put it all together. If we're to dissect Gabriel's greeting to Mary, it would sound a little bit more like this. Greetings, you who have already been freely given grace. The Lord is with you. And for me at least, this is an important nuance, and here's why. When I hear those words, highly favored, it's tough for me not to assume that Mary was being evaluated in the same way that like a horse racing expert would evaluate the favored horse at the Kentucky Derby. In a race, the horse that is most highly favored to win is the one who has the best pedigree, the best diet, the best trainer, the best everything. But like we've already seen, that's not Mary's story at all. While it's true, she was indeed used of God for a very specific and very special purpose, the story doesn't indicate that she was the one most likely to win the race for God's approval. Not at all. Mary was just Mary. A human that was hopeful and sinful, feeble and faithful, just like you and I. And here's why I love this story so much and why I think it's so relatable. Like we saw, in a few short weeks after Gabriel's visit, life is going to get really, really hard for Mary. Her relationship's really, really complicated, and her future really, really in doubt. <clears throat> in a couple of weeks, that rosy future that she might have painted for herself, dreams of a happy marriage and children and home with a picket fence and the whole works, that's all about to be completely upended. As soon as Mary begins to show, her life is going to get really complicated. Which is something that I think a lot of us can relate to, particularly around the holidays now. I mean, every year, right around this time, as the days get darker, the nights longer, and the holidays, with all, with all of their marketing cheer drawing near, every year, right around this time, so many of us are painfully reminded of just how complicated life can be. How disappointing life can be. How unexpectedly challenging life can be. Family drama, financial constraints, professional and personal disappointments. Around the holiday, these things all kind of get an extra coating of glitter 
And like glitter, you can't miss it. And no matter what you do, you can't seem to get rid of it. And I wonder then if maybe this isn't why we revisit these stories of unexpected grace, just like the story of Mary in this season, year after year, for centuries upon centuries. Because as these December days get shorter and darker, eventually culminating in the shortest and darkest day of the year, Advent affirms that sometimes life is actually, truly very dark. And sometimes, sometimes that darkness can last for a very, very, very long season. And yet, to everyone's surprise, it's there, right there, right in the middle of impenetrable darkness and weariness and sin and shame that robs the entire world of joy. It's right there in the middle of the mess that God unexpectedly steps into history and announces the good news of great joy that's for all the people. It's here, right here, right in the middle of our messes and misses that the God of the universe comes to us and meets us in the arrival of Jesus Christ. So maybe today, as shocking as it might feel given your own life circumstances, maybe today you need to hear this truth. Maybe today you need to hear Gabriel's announcement that regardless of what your life looks like, regardless of what unexpected challenges you're facing, God is actually really excited to meet you, to greet you, to welcome you, to love you now, today. Greetings, you who have already been freely given grace. The Lord is with you. That is God's hello to Mary. And it's God's hello to you and to me during our own seasons of heartbreak and hardship. Greetings, you who are hanging on by a financial thread. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are fighting for your family to stay together. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are stuck in cycles of sin and shame. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who created a right mess at work. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are facing health complications. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who daily bear the burdens of discrimination and profiling. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are lost, least, or lonely. The God of the universe, the one who sang stars into being and calls each of them by name. That same God is already with you. Because in Jesus, God has already called you beloved since the foundation of the world. In Jesus, God has already greeted you with grace. So don't rationalize this way into obscurity that God loves all of us in some vague or abstract way because God loves all of creation and the whole human race. And don't dismiss this truth unto others by thinking that God most loves those whose lives are most put together. No. Instead, the invitation to us today is to focus on the eternally defining truth that God loves you and has freely given you grace and has gives God great joy to do so. Because grace is God's baseline. 
And love is God's first assumption. It's how God opens the story before anything else happens, and it's how God closes the story after everything else falls apart. Grace is how God greets us in life when we're meeting Jesus for the first time, and it's how Jesus will greet us in death when he welcomes us into resurrection. Greetings, you who have been freely given grace. The Lord is with you, and his name is Jesus. You see, otherwise, on that otherwise normal night, some 2,000 years ago, Gabriel announced to Mary and to us what Jesus' kingdom will look like. Because in Gabriel's greeting, we get a first glance at the grace of Jesus Christ, a grace that never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. It's the kind of grace that completely and unconditionally forgives us even when we're the ones in the crowd calling out, crucify him, crucify him. And it's the kind of grace that is so powerful, so unhinging, that not even death can defeat it. And here's the thing that was true then with Mary and is still true now for us forever. Encountering a grace like this, it changes us, doesn't it? It changes everything. And it needs to. Because sometimes, frankly, we need this kind of unhinging. Sometimes we need the disruptive power of God's grace to break into our lives. Because sometimes the hurt is just too deep otherwise. The anxiety too controlling. The apathy too great. Sometimes the sin is too entrenched or the shame too pervasive. Sometimes we're so stuck on our own roads that we can't even realize that they're leading us the wrong way. And God knows that at these times, just a little change won't cut it because we'll just go back to the same old, same old. These are the time when we need God's grace to unhinge us from our old selves and our old patterns of behavior or even our old identities. And sometimes that unhinging grace, well, looks like an unexpected arrival of a blindingly brilliant angel who bursts onto the scene announcing new possibilities and a new kingdom that had otherwise been unthinkable before. These are the stories when we hear things like, I was addicted, but... I was lost, but I was a hot mess. And then I was so overwhelmed. But then I was dead. And yet, you see, sometimes, sometimes the unhinging grace we need is a light that bursts forth from the darkness, illuminating not just a brand new way to live, but a whole new life to have. And sometimes we need unhinging grace to look dramatic like that. But not always. Other times, God's unhinging grace is birthed into the world in a slower, quieter, more steady way. Sometimes unhinging grace is found in the quiet pleading that advocated for reconciling love rather than the loud and bombastic condemnation that strips you of dignity. Sometimes unhinging grace is found in the steady faithfulness and forgiveness, gentleness and generosity that can move an entire mountain without so much as a stick of dynamite. This 
is the quiet transformation that you bring into the world when you choose to be the Lord's servant and love your spouse or children or colleagues in a way that's wholly other than what you saw demonstrated to you in the past. Sometimes God's unhinging grace is loud and dramatic, and sometimes it's quiet and steady. But every time, every time it changes us. Changes us because in each of these moments we see, even if through a mirror dimly, the most powerful force the world has ever known, the unhinging power of God's grace. So what about you? What does this look like for you today? How can you showcase the power of God's grace this Advent? Well, I can think of at least two ways, though I'm certain there are many more. First, like we see in Gabriel's greeting, today the invitation might be for you to receive God's unhinging grace. Remember, our favor with God never begins with what we do for God, but it always begins with what God does for us, the great wondrous thing that God dreamed for us in Christ Jesus. So this morning, when the Lord comes screaming into your life in the power of his mercy and grace, all God asks of you is that you marvel and be astonished that God's come to you. All God asks is that we stand in awe and worship, that we let ourselves be surprised by joy and let the chill of God's grace run up our spines. So maybe for you today, the invitation is for the first time or maybe for the millionth time to give yourself to the grace of Jesus. Maybe today the invitation is to respond to Gabriel's greeting and to put your trust into Jesus for your future, that you let Jesus be your sin-bearer, your guide for living, and your friend. Today, maybe the invitation to you is to receive God's grace. But for others of us, the invitation this morning is to give it, to give God's grace. Maybe that means for you, you can showcase the unhinging power of God's grace in your workplace or your family by asking the question that no one else yet has had the courage to ask. Or maybe you can demonstrate the transformative power of grace by forgiving that person who blindsided you, who belittled you, who betrayed you. Or maybe for you, giving grace means becoming more generous. Generous to such a degree that you truly unhinge the people or organizations that you bless because of it. Or maybe, maybe the imitation to give grace is by jumping into a system that has far too long kept people on the margins of society and using the influence and power that God has given you to upend the status quo. Or maybe, just maybe, Maybe you can be like the angel Gabriel and actually announce this week the good news about Jesus. That because of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has declared without question or hesitation that we have been freely forever given grace. That Jesus has come near to you and to me and to welcome us into God's family forever. Would you pray with me?
Lord Jesus, I know that <clears throat> so many times in my life, I need the reminder of your unhinging grace. So many times it's easy for me to get lost in worlds of self-doubt, deprecation, shame, fear. It's so easy for me to get lost in the seemingly impossible circumstances around me, challenges and disappointments. Sometimes I can get so lost that I need that unhinging reminder that you are with me. And so, Jesus, we ask that that reminder would be true for all of us today. That you would break into our lives and declare without question or hesitation that you love us. Help us to own that, to see that, to be changed by that truth. And help us to go out from this place to our homes, to our friends, to our colleagues, and be that same agent of change that disrupts the old way of being, that announces the power of your kingdom, that we are loved and have been loved since the foundation of the world. These things we ask in your strong name. Amen.